Hello, and welcome back to Quality Time with Rick and Rob, the show that talks about technology and more. I am Rick Beaupre, and I am joined by my co-host, Rob DeLeon. Hi, everybody. During today's episode, we're going to talk about industry trends with one of our industry experts, Jay Sartori. We're also going to have our Talk About It segment, where we answer your tech questions while enjoying tacos from various restaurants throughout New England. So if you have a favorite and would like us to try, let us know. We'll have the contact info at the end of the episode. So Rob, it's our second episode, and I've heard so much great feedback from our first episode. Yeah, we did something right. We're, we're still here. I heard a lot of the the great feedback as well. And, you know, I think a lot of people were surprised that we are new to this, but I think that goes to uh, how well you prepared for it, Rick. Yeah. And I want to say kudos to the behind the scenes team because we couldn't have done it without them. Cause I had the same thing. People were like, you, this is your first episode. <laughs> I'm like, yeah, yeah, that was. And it's just so many people behind the scenes that our support system made this possible. Absolutely. And I think they put together uh, a good show for us for this second episode. And I'm excited to talk about our ever-changing world and some of the trends that are affecting the IT industry because of it. So I'm really looking forward to episode two and talking to Jay. And I think it's going to be a great episode. Yeah. So without further ado, let's uh, get started with uh, Jay Satori, who's not only our technical director of network and security, but a distinguished CCIE, CISSP, and an all-around nice guy. Oh, <laughs> wow, Rick, all that for me. Thank you. <laughs> Appreciate uh, you and Rob having me on today. Thank you. So Jay, um, some of the trends we're talking about today uh, are, are relatively obvious. Obviously, in the world uh, as it stands today, we have had a significant shift to a remote workforce. Um, now that most of our users are remote, what are some of the new threats you're seeing uh, on your side uh, in your experience in the field? You know, I wouldn't say that there's so much around new threats. It's it's about the way that people work today and the dynamic function that they have, right? Now that we live in this COVID world and everyone's working remotely, you know, we have some customers that, you know, all of a sudden had to make, like hitting a light switch, all of a sudden the entire workforce is forced to work remotely overnight, right? And that causes significant strain on some of the systems if they weren't designed upfront to essentially be architected to handle that workload. If you look at the shift of all of a sudden, now that everyone's working remotely, everyone's full tunneled back to the office because we have, you know, essentially all our security inspection coming out of our headquarters, right? We want everyone to come back. Well, now that everyone's works remotely, you can't really scale your internet because everyone has, you know, cheap gigabit connections at their house. So they can quickly overwhelm your internet connection. So now it comes into, okay, well, we have this, yet if we look at the way that the work is transitioned to the cloud and being dynamic, agile, Office 365, Salesforce, ServiceNow, Google's, Amazon, Azure, everything's in the cloud. It's how do we have that same kind of security and be able to scale, right? There's an industry term today, it's sassy, and it's about having secure access, secure edge. It's about the ability of extending those security services that you do today out into the work field. Now, if you look at it from a traditional standpoint of backhauling all the security back, we're taking the traffic and bringing that inspection into the data center 
but we have to be looking at it kind of from the other way as like, okay, let's bring that security inspection to the clients. And a lot of that today is probably one of the only ways you can really scale it. We've seen in the last couple of years, just about a little over around 90% the last time I checked the statistics, you can go on Google and say, try to see how much of traffic is actually encrypted. So even the fact that encryption, which we always encourage from a standpoint of, oh, right, we want our, we want our transmission encrypted, but it actually has a side effect on it from a security standpoint is now we don't have that visibility into that inspection. So it goes back to when you extend that security inspection out, right, endpoint protection, if you want to talk about the Cisco stuff in the world, being able to actually, after the data is encrypted, being able to kind of protect those end users. So what we're really seeing is how we can keep that zero trust access for our end users and provide the same level of security remotely. That's essentially what we're trying to get to today. And we're going to see that transition over the next two, three years as we're going to see higher and higher percentages following a zero trust model, you know, making sure that only the people who are supposed to have access that they do, right? And it's, it's not as simple as like, oh yeah, well, they have usernames and passwords. There's more to it. It's providing context. Is that user coming from a secure device? You want to make sure that that person is on a secure device and not a device that's, you know, maybe not a corporate asset, whatever you policy is. It really comes into having that kind of full picture and visibility with these users from essentially anywhere in the world. I think that's a great uh, description of how kind of sassy is coming to play. Because I look at it from an end user perspective and just from myself, uh, I think one of the first shifts we saw from an application perspective towards the cloud was uh, certainly Office 365 made a lot of waves as email went into the cloud. And from an end user perspective, uh, I don't mind so much whether a email server is on premise as it had traditionally been, or if it was being serviced through the cloud. So I think as we go more towards a remote workforce, that sassy uh, architecture, which has uh, creeped into everybody's vocabulary these days, uh, is something that's becoming more and more important because we're changing the avenues and the vectors in which people access uh, data and access their applications. So I think that was a great description of how uh, how the, the remote workforce is changing. Rick, I know I know you've been starting to put together a whole lot of playbooks internally uh, around different types of, of threats and, and different types of evolving platforms. Um, was there anything you wanted to add? I think you bring up a good point, Rob. In our last webinar, ransomware webinar we did, we talked about the before, during, and after an attack and how it's important to have identity to all of those. But I think I want to circle back to what Jay said, and that is about identity, right? So identity is really going to be the catalyst of everything moving forward. So we want to know, you know, who these users are, what are they doing on our network, and if they're authorized, do they have access to the resources they need? Now, with the SASE play, we couple that with oh yeah, now I want to use my own device. So how do you trust that device as well? So, you know, we went from, like Jay said, this this area where we had a corporate-owned device using a corporate-owned network VPN connecting to a corporate-owned gateway, you know, all is well in the world. And then COVID hits, and now these folks want to grab their applications and grab their information at the, the speed of which their internet connections are. Like Jay said, some of them can overwhelm, you know, our system. 
So Jay, I want to ask you a little bit about some of these industry trends. And we see a lot of folks talking about zero trust and, and all of that. And I think that a lot of terms are thrown around uh, from marketing really easy today, zero trust, sassy, all of these things. But I think from a fundamental perspective, we really want to make sure that we're trusting the endpoint and, and trusting the user. You know, How do you feel the industry is moving towards that? Do you feel like they're getting it? Do you feel like it's disjointed? You know, can you give us some insight on on how you feel about that? You know, I would say in the last year, I mean, because we've had, you know, authenticators like Duo and Octor, right? It's been around for a while, but I would say in the last year, it seems that it's really been an uptick around that. And what we've also seen in the last year um, due to COVID is ransomware, right? Ransomware is it's almost a thousand percent from the year before. There's just so much of it going around. You know, we have customers, people get hit with it all the time. Having that zero trust, I feel is starting to pick up more, right? We, you know, it starts around the basic stuff, right? Multi-factor authentication. That's almost seems to be a, a no-brainer these days. But then it's it's taking some of the other policy enforcement. And you said it, right? It's protecting that endpoint device, trying to know a little bit more about that device? Is that device compromised? Is it jailbroken? How do you have safeguards? You want to have the device essentially trusted as well. And knowing kind of like, how do you limit the attack and where users are coming from, right? It all depends on everyone's footprint. But, you know, if you have presence in only a certain part of the US, well, maybe you want to limit where your users are coming from. Like, maybe you don't want China, Russia, Zimbabwe, wherever, right? If you know you don't have users there, you can limit the scope of where attacks are coming to. It's taking advantage of these advanced features and having that visibility to know what's on your network. And knowing what's on your network means people are going to be all over. So you still need that visibility when people are connected. You want to know where are they connected from, what device, what are they doing, and anomalies. Does that make sense? Yeah, that's perfectly put. That's one of the things that we're seeing an uptick here at Aqueduct is the behavior anomaly detection tools that we help customers with because they're going to need to see it, whether it's application security, endpoint security, applications in the cloud, you know, they're going to need to see all of those different components. Yeah, Jay, and I think, you know, you shine the light on how, you know, simple or, or how easy these conversations can be. I know we've talked about it before. One of the security assessments uh, we've done here, we found traffic going to a country that we didn't expect it to from uh, a geofencing aspect. We were able to kind of shut that down and really uh, eliminate what was an ongoing persistent security threat in an environment with basically one simple question on, you know, are you doing business with Russia? So I know some of these questions can be very simple. What do you look for from a security perspective when you're assessing vulnerability and risk? Is it a conversation that you have with a customer? Are there, you know, certain things you look out for? I, I think it all starts with a conversation because it's, you really have to apply context to it. It's experience of working on different networks, finding out, you know, how the customer operates. It's just an approach of, you know, whether it's troubleshooting, trying to solve a problem, really understanding. Until you truly understand how it currently works today, then you're in a position to make recommendations or find areas that could potentially be exploited. You know, to jump back to one of you, um, that example you gave, 
of, well, you, you know, you saw people coming from a user coming from another country that you know they're not there. Or maybe there's been instances where, okay, well, how's that user in uh, two different countries at the same time and they're connected? That's interesting. If you don't have that visibility though, right, how do you even know that something's going on? So visibility with security is important everywhere, even in the sense of, you know, we look at ransomware and being able to like track down. It's, you know, even after you get hit and, you know, say a file hash in your network, how quickly can you find that file everywhere on an endpoint in your network without the right tools that, you know, calculate all the file hashes and keep an inventory of it. Good luck tracking down that file. So it's really just comes around the visibility and just, you know, every customer back to your point about is like trying to identify those vulnerabilities. It's having a conversation, looking at the business model, what they do today, how they do things today, and kind of walk through examples of, hey, if this was to happen today, what would you do? Are you able to determine every country that all your connections are right now? Can you tell me every device on your network and where it sits? It's putting context and visibility. Without visibility, you don't really get far. And I think that's important too with the social engineering that's picked up, right? So with COVID, folks getting hit with ransomware through emails or through web browser hijacks. We've seen a lot of that lately as well. Yeah, and I think, Rick, this kind of segues uh, perfectly into kind of further conversation on the ransomware. I know, you know, Jay mentioned earlier, but the working with our customers on you know, really just visibility, that that game plan. What do you do before? What do you do during? What do you do after? You know, I, I think you found a successful methodology there for ransomware in particular. So Jay pivoting, and I know this kind of goes along with the remote workforce and it could be kind of a security concern as well, but I know we have had the rise of collaboration tools that are vastly utilized, not only in the corporate world, but, you know, my son, attends school every day for half the day over Google Meet. Uh, obviously, Zoom has become almost a verb throughout the, the, the pandemic, uh, and WebEx meetings are you know something like 400% up for the time being. So as you see the world change, how do we ensure productivity utilizes these tools? We, we stay productive to the levels pre-COVID by using these tools. And, and what do you see kind of industry trends coming out of this that might be here to stay? Well, I think no matter what happens going forward, you know, everyone's accepted working remote works. You know, people were against it in the beginning or not. Everyone knows that it works. I disagree, at least on the um, with my kids trying to do homeschooling. I can't wait to get them back full time. But you know, it's going to be here for some time. We've all had to uh, adjust to doctor's appointments and various things, but it did open up that, you know, in the beginning of COVID is, you know, there were big security vulnerabilities, things like they called Zoom bombing, where people could enter meetings and just, you know, say silly things, nonsense, et cetera, and just get out of there. But, you know, think of it from like a digital espionage perspective. Say there's these large company shareholder meetings. It's If they're publicly hosted, right, and anyone can get into the meetings, what if there is a bad actor in there and just quiet listening to shareholders or maybe some private meetings, potential insider information? These are now meetings that are happening across the internet rather than in a closed room. So that scale vector is now just massively open and there are opportunities. So I think we always preach about having security in mind, no matter what it is. I think in the beginning, you know, when some of those tools are created, 
that security isn't in mind. You're probably like, ah, what's the big deal? What's the worst that could happen? But, you know, there have been cases where it is a big deal. So, again, it comes to security. Yeah, and I, I've seen, too, where some people want to lock down. You can only come in via WebEx or Zoom via your home IP. You know, I've seen issues where, I think I read a company where an employee instead of working from home, logged it, went out on vacation and logged in from there, you know, and it was like, wait, you're not from home. You're supposed to be home. You're out of in a, a foreign country trying to come in. You didn't take any time off. So I think we're going to start seeing that where they start locking down to specific IPs to really pull in that security and just ensure that the right folks are on the right meeting. That's a great point, Rick. And I think, you know, some of the trends that I see as being not necessarily new, but being accelerated, things like telehealth, remote school, and, you know, no longer having snow days and those types of things. I think a lot of those things were happening already, but giving everybody a warp speed test run at going through all of this and having that experience, I think we are going to see a much higher level of adoption for services like that. And to your point, you know, especially in a telemedicine type field, it is important that the right person or right people are on the phone or you know, doing a video call or uh, how that data that is getting transmitted back and forth between doctor and patient is secured. So I think a lot of these services are are here to stay and, and some of them are extraordinarily critical that it is uh, secure. You know, we talk about zero trust and multi-factor authentication. Same thing with meetings, right? Is a username and password good enough where you can just intercept it through email now or the stronger authentication need to happen. Yeah, I would add like even some of the behavior anomaly tools that we have, you know, between the AI and the machine learning, but also the human learning aspect of it. So, you know, one of the tools that we use when we work with the vendor, you know, you have your standard AI stuff, you have your machine learning stuff, but understanding what are users doing, if a user's hoarding data or moving data where it's not supposed to be, or logging into areas that they normally wouldn't log into, understanding whether that's a threat or a normal behavior based on it, I think is important. Yeah, and it's just because of stronger authentication, we've even seen some companies move to passwordless and more of um, behavior identity to get folks in on the network. So, you know, like you said, machine trust, user trust, and then application trust all kind of tie in together with that. So, Jay, let me ask you, what's the most upcoming technology you're most excited about? You know, we're all geeks, right? So both personally and professionally, what are you seeing out there that this is so cool? I would say that what's most exciting for me is basically software defined. It's funny, it kind of plays a little bit off, you know, moving to the cloud, but being able to manage systems holistically, right? In the Cisco world, if you look at the SD access and the VIPTeller SD-WAN, but if you look at behind the scenes of what it's doing, I think intent-based networking really is exciting for me because, you know, I've been doing this for a while now, you know, the archaic way of how WANs get so large and managing routers independently and QoS and, you know, even across the land data centers, being able to have a system where you can actually make your change with your intent of what you want to do, right? So let's use an example of like QoS across an enterprise and really being able to push it from a controller and have all your devices immediately get that change and start enforcing that policy and having the visibility 
that you just don't have today, but just having that holistic centralized approach. I think we're going to see intent-based networking really change over the next couple of years. I mean, I know it's been pushed for the last couple of years, but I think we're actually going to see a, a bigger adoption, especially with all the machine learning and the troubleshooting proactive capabilities that we're able to see. When we started moving to the cloud, I thought that was the thing. So we're taking, and even though it's somebody else's computer and somebody else's data center, the idea that we could work from anywhere on any device, anytime was the most exciting to me, especially coming from the old school client server uh, methodology to that, you know, so that's really what my question was coming from. And I'd agree with you, Jay. I think from my perspective, that would be something I'm most excited about, obviously, from a technical perspective, I came in with more of a project management background, but also a business background. So the more technology has shifted towards having business relevance and having intent-based networking or anything that has to do with a business objective or tracking KPIs and things like that. As technology has shifted that way, I feel like it's played a lot more into my strengths. So the more it does that, the happier I am. And it also makes me not look as bad compared to Jay's uh, CLI skills. So I do enjoy it in, in that perspective. I'd flip it on you, Rick. What are, what are you most excited to see from a technology perspective? I think right now, like or was the cloud, like I was talking about before, right now, identity access management, the fact that folks are taking that to heart, the fact that we have tools now where we could have a universal directory. So that becomes a source of truth and everything goes into that source of truth. And then we role-based access, right? We move the people around where they need to be to get them because we all know security has got to be frictionless. But we also have to know that we have to protect our environment. We have to understand that the right people are in the right places at the right time and that we're not looking over the shoulder, but we're ensuring that the business is protected and our intellectual property is protected because everybody wants a piece of it, right? So to answer your question, Rob, straight, it'd be identity access management and how seamless the tools are getting incorporated into everything that we do. And I've got a surprise question for Jay. What got you into IT and what did you hear? Well, I've always been in electronics ever since I was a little kid. And, you know, I went to Northeastern and started my internship and got into computers, Windows. So, you know, I started off as a lot of people don't know about me as I was a server guy. And for my 21st birthday, my parents asked me what I wanted and they got me an MCSE training kit. It was just basically four giant textbooks. And one of those books was called Networking Essentials. This book, as I was reading through, it was all about TCP and Ethernet. And as I was reading through it, I realized, oh my God, I'm a network guy. <laughs> and ever since then, <laughs> I've always really liked the networking aspect of things. And here I am today, still doing it. Same with me, Jay. I started as a server guy. And once I learned network, I was like, server what? <laughs> <laughs> And I'd, I'd say the same. I think uh, I, you know, obviously I have a project management background. Uh, I probably have more connected devices on my IoT network at my house than anybody else uh, I know. I think I have, uh, and I won't say her name because she'll start talking to me, but I have one of those devices that plays music and listens to you in pretty much every room in my house. I have probably... 30 connected lights and doorbell video cameras and all sorts of things here. So for me, technology has always been, you know, not only on the corporate side, but in the consumer world and, and all that stuff has always been super interesting to me as well. So uh, just branching out into the corporate world and, and seeing how 
applications play and everything that goes with them has, has always been interesting to me. That's a lot of devices, Rob. Yeah, Rob, I think you got me beat. I got a lot. <laughs> that's why That's why I have an IoT network so that I can keep it away from all the rest of my stuff. Yeah, that's a whole other show. I isolated my IoT network and caused all kinds of issues with my ring cameras. <laughs> so outside of that, Jay, I don't have any other questions for you. Uh, I don't know if you have any parting wisdom around, you know, securing the remote workforce or anything for anybody who wants to be a future CCIE, CISSP, uh, anything that you want to share with the listeners before we let you go? Yeah, well, you know, it's interesting. I'm I'm in the process of studying for my third CCIE. And I don't know, it's a, not the COVID summer, but the year before, so 2019, it was over uh, this, at Cisco Live. I was, I was talking to some friends and I remember saying that, you know, I want to go for another CCIE, but going for like CCI route switch, it's kind of boring, right? You've studied routing and switching for 20 years. You don't really get excited about it. The exact thing that I said to them was like, why don't they have any of the cool technologies like Viptelar, SD-WAN, or any of the DNA center, like all the new stuff that we need to learn. That Cisco Live, literally, that was like we got there on the Sunday, Rick. And that was like during the week where they announced all the new CCIE changes. So now the new CCIE enterprise infrastructure has all those technologies on it. So I think with the tracks that changed last February 2020, is exciting. They did a complete refresh on the data center side, security. They brought in all the practical technologies that makes it more relevant. Because for a long time, it's like, well, you can go and study for your CCIE, but you're, you're actually just studying outdated technology. So everything's been updated. The enterprise infrastructure has all the latest and greatest on it. So I think it's kind of an exciting time from that standpoint. And I finally earned my CCNP. So even though I have two CCIEs, I do not have a CCNP. Congratulations. But I earned it this past Wednesday. So I have the infrastructure, enterprise infrastructure CCNP. <laughs> I got my first one. That's fantastic. Yeah, congrats. Thanks. So thanks, Jay, for being on. And I think that brings us to our next segment, which is everybody's favorite, the Let's Taco About It, it being capitalized in IT. I've got some tacos here ordered from our wonderful director, producer, and marketing specialist, Maddie Lewis. Rick, what kind of tacos did you get today? So I got a local place near me, Casablanca, which I absolutely love. They're up in Haverhill. So I got the Mexican City Tacos. Um, phenomenal. They're, uh, so it's a charbroil steak with onions and uh, this melted jack cheese topped with uh, uh, catija cheese. I think that's how you say it. Um, and it has this mango. Oh, it's phenomenal. Love it. What did you get, Rob? Yeah, and I got the... Street tacos from Ixtapa Mexican Grill and Cantina. They've got one near me. I'm up in Burlington, so this one in Woburn. Uh, they also have a location over in Lexington, but they've got some uh, soft corn tortillas. Uh, this one comes with grilled chicken, some melted jack cheese, and my favorite rice and beans as a side. So I'm looking forward to this. I'm ready to reach into the question bag and see what kind of questions we got ready for us. The question is, what do we see as the biggest threat facing enterprise customers since the beginning of COVID? That's a good question. There's also part of it, not necessarily just a security threat, but overall 
be it the lack of collaboration or security breaches or cloud access? So it's a pretty good question for our first one out. I think uh, we, we talked a little bit about it with, with the remote access piece, and I think you probably go into that for days. But I think I'm going to take a, a little bit different spin on this. So I think there is, you know, an evolving world that we live in with everybody being remote. I think from a human resources standpoint, there's also a concern on productivity on our end users, how they interact with each other while being remote. So, you know, I know at Aqueduct, this is something we're very highly cognizant of things we do uh, to, to try to keep the the family-like atmosphere we have together and i think you know we talked about that on on episode one uh with monic but i think you know there is a a risk to you know company culture and some of the things where everybody's so spread out and not seeing each other that you know you don't get as much personal feel and i know uh, i i personally try to make an effort to talk to some of our newer employees because we've had employees start over over this break. So, you know, I think from a human resources perspective, there's also, you know, a little bit of a threat to a company culture and to how a company operates as well as uh, a collaboration standpoint and, and how you work well with others. So, um, you know, I think, I think at Aqueduct, we've, we've tried to do things that, that help bring people together. And, and I think, you know, part of our culture has, has helped stem some of that tide and uh, certainly having, you know, our great director, producer, uh, writer, and uh, marketing specialist, Madison Lewis, order us tacos certainly helps. Rick, I don't know if you have a different take on it. I like your view on that, because one of the things that came to mind when you were talking was, you know, the work-life balance, right? So now that, you know, all of us are working from home for the foreseeable future, it's when is that workday end? Right. Because you're like, you know, it's five o'clock. But if I get this one more thing done and next thing you know, it's seven o'clock, you know, you're still working through. And I think that could be a threat because, you know, folks start moving um, pretty quickly and then, you know, they start trying to bypass things or trying to do things that are just quite not the norm. You know, and it's important for us, you know, as security practitioners, especially in my domain, is to, you know, ensure that everybody's you know, protected in that they stay in the guardrails. And I would add that Maddie is brilliant, especially at ordering tacos. And if we keep saying it, she might start doing it on non-podcast days, I think is the hope. Yeah, that's what I'm having. I have a whole list of taco places that I go through throughout New England. So I think if I just email her the list and say, you know, just keep this for your records, you know, we could probably get tacos not on recording days. And, and speaking of tacos, you know, I know we're, we're, we're talking about it. I think the, one, the ones that I have here are very well seasoned. Uh, I, I prefer the, the street taco. It's kind of the, the flavor I like. We, we used to eat them as I grew up. Uh, one of my family members, uh, my grandfather lived just on the uh, American side of the, the, the border with Mexico. So we used to have a lot of authentic tacos and hit up street vendors and things like that for, for tacos. So I, I tend to gravitate towards a, a, a nice street taco. And I think uh, Ixtapa has, has a good one in this area. So I'm enjoying mine. I don't know about you, Rick, if, if you've gotten to dig in yet. Uh, I have. Oh, of course I have. <laughs> uh, but you know, you bring up a good thing too, being a New Englander. Um, I wasn't really 
into tacos until maybe about 10 years ago. And one of my jobs that I had previously, I had to cover um, San Diego, California. And, you know, the street taco scene in San Diego is phenomenal. And I just really started liking just the way they were and how fast they could make them and, and how delicious they were. So when I was here in New England, I started hunting down places that made them authentic and made them, you know, with that same care that I felt that it was done naturally in San Diego. And, you know, I, I think I've had quite a list uh, for there. Mine, I like a little spicy with some sweetness. Like this particular one has the pepper jack cheese, but it also has like a mango salsa on it. I know you said pico on yours, but I went with the mango salsa because I like that that contrast. Yeah, I think the I think the contrast is good. I like a little bit of I like a little bit of heat. I'll take the pico. It's it's a much more natural flavor, but I also will dip into you know, anything with heat. So if you wanted to combine it with your sweetness, like a habanero and mango type uh, sauce would be definitely something that, that I would, I would drizzle on a, on a taco as well. Yeah. And I'm big into the, into a lot of authentic cheeses as well, you know, so if I can get it um, as pretty close to authentic on the cheeses, I will, even though pepper jack is not authentic Mexican, it's still a, a good layer inside. All right. So we're going to move on to our next question. And that question is around the trend of cloud calling and if it's here to stay. And Rick, I, I would say, in, in my opinion, the cloud calling is part of a larger trend. And that larger trend is that people are looking at different ways to consume technology. So, you know, we talked about it in the episode with Microsoft Outlook being one of the first things that went to the cloud, then people are looking for different ways to consume their technology. So calling being an important aspect of any business environment, I think that it's here to stay because people are looking for an easy way to set up a phone system and take some of the responsibility of the underlying infrastructure and they call up time and all the different features and functionalities that you need, giving them a offsite home has relieved some of the burden on IT managers as they try to work through making sure that something as critical as the phone is constantly up. And I don't know, Rick, if you feel the same way, but I, I think it's it's indicative of that larger trend. You know, we're, we're seeing just different ways to consume technology. I do feel similar in the sense of, because if you see, if you look at the velocity in which Microsoft Teams, Zoom, Cisco WebEx have all worked to get their products up, we've got new features in all three of those platforms in the last nine months than we've seen previous years. And the phone quality, the video quality, the things that you can do with it are state of the art. They're pretty top notch now. Even, you know, take us for an example when we started the work from home. You know, we're all cloud anyways, and our cloud, our systems, our phone systems in the cloud, you know, we, seamlessly moved out it didn't cause us any grief as we've grown over the last nine months i think our collaboration tools no matter which one we're using has been phenomenal um i just couldn't imagine life without them now right so people are like are they a fad no there are there are tool set there are things we're going to be using now to conduct business yeah and to touch on that i saw a recent study that said only seven percent of businesses say that they're going fully back to the office so I don't think that there's any reason to think 
that in the future we're all going back into a physical office and in that case it doesn't really matter where your applications or in this case calling live uh, it's just that you have access to it so i think uh, it's a perfect time to move any application to cloud and, and calling being one of those yeah as long as they're always on demand and available from when the users need them because you know we have to conduct business you know at this velocity that's happening right now i say yeah, it's definitely here to stay and i think that's all the questions we had today so i think to submit a question for next week's episode you can submit one on our website at www.aqueducttech.com or you can email us at info at aqueducttech.com and we also have an upcoming webinar on march 3rd about the new webex ui and devices and you can register for that on our website. So thanks for joining. Don't forget to subscribe as we have new episodes coming out uh, every month. And we'll see you next time.